When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So with a bit of a down day for both silver and gold, but but as a whole, not a ton of move to start off this week, I actually want to to shift gears here and and take some time to talk about uh, what we can refer to as as the other white metals. Now, the other white metal oftentimes is just known as platinum. Platinum is the other white metal. And then there's the other other white metal, palladium. And we're going to take it one step further and, and start off talking about the other other white metal, other, sorry, there are three others, other, other, other white metal. And of course, that is rhodium. All three of these, palladium, platinum, and rhodium, have seen some really interesting price movement over the last couple of days, weeks, months. And I sort of want to break it down and, and as well as just give my perspective on these assets as far as their, their merit in terms of investment for those of us that are stacking. And, and we'll start off, as I said, with rhodium, which currently, according to Infomine.com, as well as Money Metals uh, Exchange, uh, currently are is just shy of $10,000 an ounce. Now, it's not easy to see find super great data, up-to-date data on the price of rhodium. It's, it's a fairly illiquid market, fairly small market, and yet it is a, a metal that has you know, far outperformed any of the other ones, silver, gold, platinum, palladium, uh, in the last few years. You know, if we go back to, uh, you know, 2016 or 2017, uh, you know, you could find rhodium for, for less than $1,000 an ounce. In fact, you know, a matter of days ago, a week ago, you know, it was, it was in the ballpark of, of um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, six, $7,000 an ounce. And now it's all the way up to nine, almost $10,000 an ounce. But again, very small, very illiquid market that is just very much prone to to supply and demand uh, uh, problems, uh, shortages, basically, that, that send this price much, much higher. And then there's palladium, which has seen not as drastic of a move up in price, um, but, but as a whole has seen what would appear to be a much more sustained uh I guess, bull market, you know, dating all the way back to, you know, we, we'd have to look back to 2016 probably um, to, to see when this started for palladium. You know, back in the winter of 2016, palladium was around five, $600 an ounce. Uh, as it stands today, palladium is around $2,300 an ounce. Again, we're talking very uh, more liquid, but still a fairly illiquid market, fairly small market. But in that time span, as I said, five, six hundred dollars an ounce, up to twenty three hundred dollars an ounce, and that's not even its peak. You know, it was higher, uh, closer to twenty four, uh, twenty five hundred. Over twenty five hundred is actually its high in the last, you know, just from like a, a couple of days ago for palladium. But but again, a huge move to the upside, and and, and as it relates to palladium as as well as you know platinum to to a much much lesser extent, but palladium especially, which is traded on on the the NYMEX, the the New York uh, Mercantile Exchange, uh, it is really I think representative partly of of what we can expect at least to happen to the price of silver and gold uh, in their in in the future later on in this bull market. Now, what's going on in terms of the physical supply and demand of palladium, I don't think is a perfect comparison. Because A, there's far less supply of, of palladium, like 
than than there ever will be for for silver and gold relative to demand. Just a very small market. I mean, it's not widely used. And I think the two primary producers are like South Africa and, and Russia, right? Uh, and, and they have a, a corner on the market for the most part. And and furthermore, there's just less palladium bullion. There's less palladium just sitting around that could be sold for scrap and, and brought onto the market to, to drive down this price, right? So, I mean, I'm not going to say that this is a perfect comparison because silver and gold are vastly different than, than palladium. And again, I'm going to get into the merits of these as, as investments, as metals to own, to, to stack here in, in a minute. But the price action, at least, is something very similar to, to what I expected from, from silver and gold in the future. I mean, really, it comes down to, to the fact that palladium, as well as silver and gold and platinum, are traded on paper or digital, whatever you want to call them, markets. These are not physical markets. They have a very small amount. I don't know the exact numbers for the palladium market, but a very small amount of, of actual physical metal backing this, this huge amount of paper and digital trading. And even less of it is actually changing hands from person to person. It's it's a very uh, small physical uh, pile relative to to what's being traded. I mean, there's days, there's weeks where many multiples of, of the yearly uh, uh, supply coming to the market for for gold or for silver is traded in, in a day or a week's time. That that's not representative. And, and yes, that's just volume. And volume is, uh, I get it. You know, things can be traded more than once in a week. Uh, but but if you actually look at how much metal is actually trading, changing hands, how much is actually being uh, delivered, it's it's very small. And, and part of that's the way that these markets are set up. Um, part of it's that the traders find very little reason, with with the markets being that they are today, to actually take possession. Right, as far as they're concerned, that's expensive. That's that takes time. That's just not worth it for for most traders. Um, and and they see no problem. They see no counterparty risk trading paper metals or digital metals uh, as long as they can make money or as long as they can get exposure to, to the underlying spot price, right? Uh, but, but of course, in the future, as we're seeing right now in palladium, I mean, w- when you see paper markets try and corner a physical market, ultimately what happens is, is you know, when physical uh, markets get tight, when when su- demand far outpaces supply on the market and the price rises, you know that's that's magnified by the fact that that there's so much paper leverage in these markets, right? And the same is true has been true for silver and gold in the past. If you look back to 2011 and 2012, uh, that was partly a product of of paper markets, and it will be this time around again. You know, you, the question always for silver and gold has been, you know, especially silver, when will the physical market take over. I mean, this is a theme on my channel, my podcast for like years now. But when will the physical market take over? And it's going to happen eventually. You know, it's always sort of an eventuality, uh, which will will coincide with a, a large amount of physical demand for silver and gold because people won't want that counterparty risk. It'll coincide with this this sort of I'm not going to say default or collapse of the COMEX, but this realization by traders by by a lot of of investors that physical is is king and that uh, th- there's a whole lot of paper trading that's not really representative at all of of the physical market, and and along with that, of course, as I said, you know, it's it's going to coincide with this big move up in silver and gold. So that's palladium, which has gotten a lot of attention, I guess, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, it was uh, back in December that palladium moved up around $2,000 an ounce. I don't know if it actually topped it back then, you know, even back 
uh, ooh, that was a good voice crack. Back in, gosh, was this uh, 2019, uh, even 2018, back when, when Palladium was up around, you know, fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars $1,600 an ounce. Uh, back in, 20, yeah, probably 2019. Uh, and, and it sold off. But but since then, I mean, some people have kind of looked away, but it's, it's you know, the bull market lives on today in the Palladium market. And then there's platinum, right? The other white metal, uh, which has uh, been doing fairly well. You know, platinum's a metal that I said, you know, back in, wow, this is probably, it was near its lows back in, um, I'm going to guess, 2018 back when platinum was around like $800 an ounce, and it wasn't a bad buy. And, and since then, it's moved up a fair bit, up around $1,000 an ounce as I speak, actually just shy of that, uh, right around $1,000 an ounce. Uh, and, and it's, again, a, a smallish market, larger than palladium as far as, I'm, as I know, larger than rhodium, but, but not nearly as big as gold or, or silver. And of course, people say, well, you know, palladium, or platinum is... You know, there's there's only a small fraction of, of ounces of platinum in the world compared to every ounce of gold. You know, the price should be much, much higher. And right now it's about, you know, two-thirds the price of gold, if that. And, of course, you know, supply is, is never the only component in, in, in price, right? I mean, the, the other argument I always hear is, you know, silver is brought out of the ground at a 9-to-1 ratio for gold. Therefore, the, the price should reflect that. No, I mean, that's just the supply side of things. There's also the cost of production as well as the demand. And, and for platinum, um, I mean, it just doesn't make sense for platinum to be, uh, you know, many, many multiples of, of the price of gold. With that being said, it's a speculative market that has been moving up. And I thought worthy, it'd be worthy of, of a bit of, of, I don't know, time on today's episode, right? Because since I'm talking about these other white metals now, so that's, that's a review of, of these recent price actions. Um, and, and occasionally, I will get them comment uh over on youtube about how you know gold is is doing decent and silver is just sort of trading sideways you know where the real action is at is in the palladium markets or the rhodium markets and occasionally people even go so far as to say you know i bought some way back then and, and i and look at my assets now and i don't know if they have actually actually sold it or anything like that but but they're always saying you know you, you really missed out on the big metal market and and of course, my reply, whether or not I actually physically reply, my reply to that is is that no, I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, palladium and rhodium are highly speculative assets. Yes, you can consider them. I don't know if they're considered precious metals. I should know that. I know, I'm pretty sure platinum and at least palladium are. But, but yes, they're 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 not rare earth metals minerals, but but rare man, minerals, right? Uh, and, and they have, you know, some physical qualities. I mean, they're shiny metals, relatively rare, like silver and gold. But, but the comparisons really stop there. Palladium, rhodium, and for the most part, platinum have no history as, as money. They have no monetary history. They're not bought by central banks. They're not bought by uh, civilians or individuals or firms, companies, whatever, around the world that are looking to, to hedge or to, to preserve their wealth. Um, they're, they're relatively small markets. And, and these metals have relatively few uses. They're important uses. I'm sure very important to our, our daily lives. I know platinum and I think palladium as well are used in things like catalytic converters and, and, and I'm sure rhodium, I'm not familiar with all the uses, but they're important, obviously. Otherwise, they wouldn't be you know, at the price that they are today because they're not at that price because of, of physical stackers, right? Uh, but, but no, there's a, there's a huge difference there. 
right? The reasoning behind buying platinum, but certainly palladium and rhodium, is, is largely a speculative reason. Like, yes, you can say I'm buying this palladium, I'm buying this platinum, rhodium, because I want to preserve my wealth or something like that. But they have a poor history of doing that, especially when they're at very ele elevated prices. Uh, rather, they, they sort of have this history of not doing a whole lot um, and then exploding in price and then coming back down again, which I know some of you are going to say is like silver. But, but again, silver has a huge history as money, huge history as, as, a, as a monetary asset, as an asset that's bought around the world by millions and millions, not as something to throw in an electronic device or a catalytic converter, but as, as a way to preserve their wealth, right? A huge difference there. And, and the other, I think, really key point for those of us that are dealing in the physical realm, like if you want to speculate with paper on these assets, then then be my guest. But even on the paper side of things, these markets can be illiquid. On the physical side of things, they are hugely illiquid, especially in the quantities that most of us would be dealing in, right? I don't even know if you, if you went up and bought, say, 100 ounces of platinum. And platinum is a little more liquid, but, but certainly platinum and rhodium. Uh, first of all, I'd be really curious as to what the premium is on that, and I should have you know checked it out before I started this. But I'm going to guess it's it's many hundreds of dollars above the price, the spot price. And you know, even if you're buying high, large quantities, 100 ounces, you might have a difficult time selling that even at spot price. You know, it could be selling at well, well below spot price, which is of course not the case for silver and gold, right? You can easily usually sell silver and gold around spot price, if not above, depending on what you have. You're buying it for not that much above spot price. You can get silver for less than a dollar over spot, gold for, for you know a couple bucks or ten bucks over spot per ounce, right? Not the case for rhodium, platinum, and 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 palladium. Very illiquid, and and this is in relatively normal circumstances, right? Uh, economic crisis or or you know grid down scenario or financial collapse or something like that. I mean, good luck getting rid of it. Right? Who's going to want to buy that? I mean, it's just it, it's silver and gold are far going to outweigh uh, that demand or what people want to buy because, as far as other people are considered, I mean, there's just no allure to something like platinum, palladium, rhodium in that situation. And furthermore, that's the other thing here is, is you know, I've been talking about the monetary demand for silver and gold. Well, there's an economic or there's an industrial demand for both those metals, especially silver. I mean, gold as well, but silver, a, a good, very large chunk half plus of the market is is industrial demand in nature electronics and and vehicles and, and houses and and as a catalyst and all these different uses right well for for platinum for palladium for rhodium it's it's almost a hundred percent of the market it's not because obviously you can buy these bars you can buy these coins there's a bit of if you want to call it monetary demand but the vast vast majority is industrial in nature Meaning that it's extremely prone to industrial growth and and and, and economic growth. Thus, you know, uh, I you know some people have said you know platinum and palladium are at risk because of this EV revolution, and, and I sort of disagree with that because the EV revolution really is has yet to fully arrive, right? But just on its face, you know, the the risk of a, of a recession and what that means for for automobile demand, that's a serious problem for for both of those metals. Right, so there's a world of difference, and if you want to speculate, great, right, uh, paper or physical, but understand that that the comparison between 
these other white metals and silver and gold, especially palladium and rhodium, because I just see them as, as far, far less liquid. Pl platinum can, there's some merit you know, in terms of stacking it to, to some extent, preserve your wealth. It's still too speculative for my liking. But, but the comparison really stops for the most part at that point. Very little monetary demand for any of these. No history as money. Highly sensitive to industrial demand. Very illiquid markets, both in the paper or digital realm and the uh, physical realm. Um, and, and good luck finding somebody to sell it to. Right? You, you can find it, but, but it's, you know, again, uh, I think, I guess what I've seen and an experience that I've heard is that you're going to have a hard time selling that at the actual spot price, especially when the markets are as they are today. I mean, if you're buying rhodium, if you're buying pl palladium, you know, five years ago, and you're saying, I'm holding on to this until it, it you know, goes to the moon. Well, I, I don't know if anybody would be buying rhodium at $10,000 an ounce right now or $9,000 an ounce because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was, it was like two thirds of that, right? Or, you know, three quarters of that price. Right, so why wouldn't they hold out another couple of days, couple of weeks, unless they they needed it right then for for industrial purposes or whatever? So, rant over. I wanted to move on though. There's other topics I wanted to discuss today, and and we'll start off with one that's been actually a really big news item that I've been somewhat following over this last I don't know week or so, and this is that coronavirus that is spreading. Originally uh, originated in China, the Wuhan province. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It doesn't seem too difficult, right? I don't know. But the Wuhan province uh, uh, or a city uh, which was discovered. Well, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Late last year. And so this is a pneumonia-like lung illness, right? Similar to SARS, which is the, gosh, what does that even stand for? Uh, uh, MERS as well, which is a Middle East respiratory uh, sickness. I'll find out what Mars or what, what SARS stands for. Uh, SARS virus. Let's see here. Severe acute respiratory syndrome. Okay, and then then MERS is is a uh, uh, Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome. Uh, similar, right? And so the idea behind this is that they make you sick, but they make you sicker than like a normal cold generally does, or the flu. Right? They're more likely to cause pneumonia, which pneumonia is, is really common already. I'm sure many of you guys have had it or you know people that have had it. I mean, pneumonia can, can occur from, from the common cold. Um, it can occur uh, from the flu. It can occur from a lot of different bugs. Uh, however, you know, except, in, except in you know, really exceptional cases, it's usually caused by or it usually occurs in, in like an elderly population or a, a sedentary individual or somebody that was in the hospital and was exposed to some, some very strong strain of it. You know, most of us fight off these bugs and then we get a cold, we may get some flu-like symptoms, but it doesn't progress to full-blown pneumonia. You know, the other you know, cause of it would be, let's say, uh, you just have trouble, your lungs are too good of an environment for these bugs, um, wet and, and moist because of... I don't know, cystic fibrosis maybe. I, I'm pretty sure that's a risk factor. 
or or maybe you have a, a hard time clearing some of these excretions in your in your lungs or maybe you aspirated something that that becomes a hotbed for for bacterial or viral uh, activity uh, right those things can all put you at risk and and the idea behind this this new coronavirus or SARS or MERS is that they are you know they're they're acute respiratory syndrome they're they're more likely to cause these pneumonia or pneumonia like symptoms now at at this point it's it's getting pretty serious so the idea behind this or, or the the big story here is that this started off in the Wuhan the city of Wuhan and to date we have confirmed cases in Beijing Shanghai Tianjin uh Zhejiang Henan Chongqing Hong Kong which are all Chinese countries, and Hong Kong is yeah part of China. But in addition to that, Taipei, which no, it's not part of China. I'm not gonna, right? I'm I'm offending every Chinese commie that's listening in. But but also Bangkok, uh, which is what Thailand, uh, Seoul, South Korea, Tokyo, uh, which is um, Japan, obviously Brisbane, which is uh, Australian. There's probably some Australian way to say that, uh, and then Washington State, Seattle, actually, or I think is Everett. Which is Washington, which is the hospital that which, where this uh, person that was in China is now, right? Uh, so that's that's a lot of places that this is already spread to, right? This is a a very fast movement. This is viral. This is um, you know early on they weren't sure where this came from. They're thinking maybe from an animal or something. But but I think early on they were wondering. No, this is probably isn't a a extremely easily communicable disease from from human to human like this is probably an isolated outbreak but but now they're realizing like no this is actually pretty easy to, to spread from person to person probably similar to you know the common cold or, or the flu maybe not quite as i guess viral not they're all viral but but viral in the sense that they spread so quickly like a viral video right maybe they aren't that quickly maybe not but at a pretty good pace in fact so far uh, we have uh, almost 300 cases confirmed. And and the scary thing about this, if you want to call it scary, I mean, for me, it's not worrying. It's not scary. It's just, it's maybe concerning, but I'm not, you know, I, I try not get worried or scared or anything like that of, of these world events because I know, you know, ultimately who's in control of this all. Uh, you know, my God in heaven, not some, some elitist you know, group of people. But 300 cases confirmed, However, the nature of this is, first of all, we're, we're talking China here, a sprawling country, billion-plus people. I mean, they have a ton of cities uh, which, which are larger than, like, some of our, what we'd consider here in the United States, big cities or, or, you know, cities that are larger than some of those other ones around the world that a lot of my viewers are from, larger than, what, Toronto or London or, or uh, Sydney or Chicago or L.A. or New York City. And, and they have a ton of these cities, right? A ton of cities that are million plus people, billion plus people total in the country. And, you know, even though the, the president Xi Jinping said today, you know, anyone who says, you know, anyone, anyone who's trying to, to cover up cases of this, you know, there, there's going to be some punishment from that. I forget the exact punishment or the exact wording. Uh, it's still a huge country. It's hard to report these things. And, uh, you know, you always have to wonder how honest they are with with the press how honest they are about the spread of this illness because look right now is is like their lunar new year it's like a week what like a week-long uh celebration ton of traveling within the country ton of traveling uh 
travelers coming from abroad to their homeland in China. We're talking millions and millions, hundreds of millions probably people uh, traveling, at least tens of millions. And, and they, you know, this is this is a big economic time period, right? People using trains and, and buses and planes and all of that and tourists coming in from outside. I mean, that's a big business thing. And the last thing the Chinese you know, Communist Party would want is, is with their already lackluster economic growth from 2019 to start off 2020 with a huge uh, pandemic scare and, and you know, the, the, the economy to, to suffer because of it. And so, you know, that's there's already that. Plus, as I said, this is a sprawling nation. It's hard to get real data on this. And, and look, pneumonia is already incredibly common. I'm sure in a lot of these uh, uh, cities and, and hospitals where there's been confirmed cases, they have a test that they've, that they've developed and, and they're looking out for it, right? The pathologists and whatnot, these hospitals. But look, I'm, you guys know I'm a grad student. I'm interned at a pretty small hospital right now, uh, actually at the hospital itself, in, you know, inpatient. And there's, you know, there's probably a few dozen pneumonia cases each week, right? One or two dozen in, in a relatively small hospital. Uh, but that's a lot. Right? There's pneumonia cases left and right, and it's hard to test every single one. It's hard to get these test kits out. It's easy to, for a lot of them to just say, well, it's pneumonia, and it's probably nothing. Right? Let's, let's not get too worked up about this, because I think the vast majority of these pneumonia cases at this point in China are still just that. I mean, nothing. They're just normal pneumonia cases. Right? Uh, and, and, and the same is true for, for places where this might spread to. Right? Are they going to give this test to every single person in... Seattle now that ends up with pneumonia probably not it's probably gonna be people that had have recently traveled to China or have close exposure to somebody that has right and, and it's not you can't catch everybody with those questions you're gonna miss some people that may have potentially contracted the disease right and and the other thing about the the nature of viral illnesses is that they've confirmed what three hundred ish cases maybe they're they're hiding some from us maybe they just totally missed some cases but you know, the way that these these viral illnesses work is that, you know, with 300 already sick, there's likely hundreds, maybe thousands more that have already been exposed, don't even know it yet. You know, could be listening to this podcast right now with a bit of a stiffle, <clears throat> a bit of a cough. Sorry, I'm not trying to scare you guys. Uh, and I have no idea that they've contracted this coronavirus. Now, let's not get too scared here. Let's not get too worked up. This is serious, yeah. I mean, the flu, uh, deadly strains of the flu in, in the past, which today largely just target the young, the immune compromised, and, and the, the very elderly in terms of, of serious complications or death, um, in, in the past has, has developed deadlier strains and, and killed millions, right? Uh, and this coronavirus, you know, if you look at similar viruses like the MERS, like the SARS, uh, you know, they had a fairly high fatality rate. I think the, the SARS, you know, SARS killed, I think, over 800 people. You know, so it's not like Ebola, which had a pretty high kill rate. Uh, it's not like some of these other ones, which kills like every single person. It's actually a fairly small fraction relative to what the media might make you think. But it's still pretty deadly. And it is, I, I'm sure, debilitating. Pneumonia is, would be debilitating for me, even if I had a pretty good likelihood of surviving it. You know, the people at most at risk, though, are going to be the young, the elderly, the immune compromised. Um, and then I'm sure there's going to be some deaths, you know, outside of that from, from people that may not fit that description, just a fluke or just whatever. 
uh, for whatever reason, their body just does a poor job of fighting it off, or they don't get medical attention. But and so it's not like everybody that gets it is a death sentence. Actually, for the vast majority, it's it hasn't been or it won't be a death sentence most likely. But I mean, the power of numbers. Let's say that three hundred. You know, a week from now is three thousand, right? And 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 the nature of this this, I guess, logarithmic growth or whatever, uh, to to where it you know the the following week, assuming it isn't checked and and isn't stop from spreading, you know, 10,000 or, or 20,000, and then you're up to, into the hundreds of thousands and whatnot. You know what, let's say it sets off like that, and then this is the new, you know, a new epidemic, worldwide epidemic, or plague, whatever you want to call it, and it moves into the tens or hundreds of thousands. I mean, we're talking hundreds of dead, right? Eventually thousands. And and a good number of those would be hospitalized. I mean, you're, you're basically inundating, you're saturating the healthcare system, with cases, many of which may, may survive just fine, but still require probably observation or, or treatment, right? So it gets out of hand really fast. And that's why Marcus, to some extent, have been selling off of this. And, and what I'm telling you here is that, as I said, you know, don't buy into this narrative of it's going to kill everyone that it touches because it doesn't uh, and it won't. Most, of these, most diseases don't or most, you know, viral or bacterial illnesses don't. Um, but... Uh, it is still something significant to watch because it can affect uh, demand for things like airline travel, for for buying things and, and for traveling during this Lunar New Year. Uh, and, you know, there's a certain cost to a major pandemic if this thing really gets gets out of, of control. And, and, you know, from a preparedness perspective, uh, keep in mind, I mean, this is, this is a reminder of just how ill-prepared our healthcare system today here in the United States, and I'm guessing most of the world, is for uh, a, a, a pandemic like this. You know, I can look up... So I live in uh, Duluth, Duluth, Minnesota, and, and we're talking about a population of 80-some thousand, and you add in some surrounding communities that are pretty close to Duluth, maybe 100,000 uh, no, like, uh, individuals here, right? Um, so... Our main hospital, St. Mary's Essential System, has 380 beds. That's I'm just getting from their from their website here real quick. And then we have a smaller one, and and they have a let's see here. It's called St. Luke's number of beds. I'm just googling this because it's coming to me as I you know, kind of think this up and and why it's why it's such an important thing. Uh, number of beds for for St. Luke's, and it's just a fraction of that. Uh, 267. Uh, 267 plus uh, what did I say 380 something, right? And so we're we're talking less than a thousand beds, and then you can add into that. You know, let's say like it's an emergency situation. Let's say you can inflate that with with like one or two. There's two other smaller hospitals in the area to a thousand beds for a community of a thousand plus, or sorry, a hundred thousand plus, right? We're talking a bed for every hundred people at a thousand plus beds, right? Never mind the fact that that the the actual number of like employees and whatnot would be heavily like really stretched in that type of situation. Plus, the fact that a lot of those beds. I mean, we're talking at a, uh, you know one thousand beds for a hundred, hundred twenty, hundred fifty thousand probably. If you're talking about some surrounding communities which are likely rely on these hospitals, you're talking about a bed for for every hundred fifty people, right? And and you know the infection rate in a lot of these areas. And and I mean, think about how even worse it may be for like 
New York City or Los Angeles or some of these other cities which has had sprawling populations. But then on top of that, I mean, a lot of these hospitals are already not to capacity, but already, you know, a lot of these beds are already filled with just normal stuff that happens, injuries and other illnesses and, and whatnot, right? So preparedness, I mean, the, the idea of being prepared for, for a pandemic is very real. And, and again, I'm not trying to scare you. But there's nothing wrong with, with making some basic preparations. I'm talking um, masks for these respiratory-type illnesses, N95, and, or even you can go higher than that. N95 mask would be a good start. Um, goggles, not a bad idea to have some pairs on hand for you and your family. Gloves, hand sanitizer, like really nice hand sanitizer, stuff that will kill most bugs out there, and some moisturizer to go along with it probably. Um, and if you want to go all out, you can get some, you know, some suits or some gowns that will provide reasonable, you know, protection and whatnot against these types of, of illnesses, right? And that sounds like paranoid, and, and maybe it is, but there's nothing wrong with being paranoid uh, as long as you aren't overly concerned or scared about something like this. Because odds are, if you're in Duluth, Minnesota, or if you're in most of the United States, you probably have nothing to fear at this point, right? Um, but... You know, that's always subject to change with these. We, we haven't been hit by a major plague, worldwide plague, in, in a while, right? There was what maybe you could call them like endemic diseases that, that killed or, or disabled a lot of people. You know, back in the 20th century, you had polio and you had measles and whatnot. And, and obviously, like malaria and some of those illnesses still kill a lot of people. Um, but as far as like this viral or bacterial illness starting somewhere and just spreading worldwide, it's been a while. I mean, the Ebola virus, uh, which still is is around in parts of Africa, hasn't never really successfully spread to to around the world uh, in large numbers, right? The SARS, the MERS outbreaks, um, you know, there's been some other ones in the past. And, I mean, but the past, you know, the last large one, at least that comes to mind, at least here in the United States, would probably be like. The flu back in, in 1918, uh, I think it was in 1919 or 1920, in that time period. So, But it doesn't mean it can't happen now. In fact, if anything, we, we have, we have better, better medical care, better understanding of these pathogens, better, better understanding of how to protect ourselves. However, we're also more globalized than ever, right? Instead of, of ocean-going vessels to, to carry us across the Atlantic and the Pacific and whatnot, uh, or across the English Channel, even uh, we have we have airplanes, right, uh, and and we have uh, high highly concentrated mass transit, uh, which we did back then too, um, but but of course you have the subway, you have trains, you have buses, you have uh, streets, right? Um, you know we're we're still as much at risk than ever for for something large like this spreading. It's just probably a matter of time. Is it going to be this coronavirus? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but something to keep in mind, something to watch, something to maybe Google on a daily basis, you know, once a day, you know, for, for the next couple of days or, or, you know, and at some point, if this really gets out of control, you, you won't be able to avoid news about it. Right. But, but it's likely going to be fine. Don't get scared about it, but there's nothing wrong with being prepared and, and certainly, aware of what's going on. So as always, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast and God bless.